Amen and amen. Well, just like you, I come from a family as well. And uh, although we're not going to be able to look at it, I brought some photos of my family. And uh, I, I was born into a, 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 a church family. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a caretaker. Uh, I have an older brother named Austin. My name's Mike, if we haven't met. Younger brother named Tommy. And then seven years later, after Tommy, uh, God decided that my parents needed some help with three boys. And so they sent us a little girl, which is my sister, which is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, and then later on in life, uh, God blessed me, brought my wife into my life uh, a, a little over three years ago. And, uh, and then a little over a year ago, God blessed us with our first child, McKinley Grace. And if you haven't had a chance to meet her, uh, she, from what I have been told, she looks like me. Uh, with just a little bit of a ponytail thing going. Uh, and so hopefully when she gets older, she'll look more like her mom. That will help her out in life as she gets going. But, uh, but, I, but we, were, we grew up in the same kind of family. But I don't know about you, when I was growing up in my family, uh, when I was little and I hadn't had a chance to get exposure to a lot of other families, and I, I thought that my family was normal. How many of you thought your family was normal? Like you just did normal stuff, right? We like hung out together. You know, at, at some point you realize not everybody his dad is a pastor, right? You kind of figure these things out. But where it started to change for me, where I started to like question and wonder about my own family, and maybe it wasn't as great as I thought it was, was when I started to visit friends. Does, does anybody remember the first time you started to visit friends and you started to see other parents and family dynamics and all that kind of different stuff? Do you remember that? Does anybody remember that? Where it starts to change a little bit and hey, and I don't know about you, but for me, I noticed that I tended to grab gravitate towards uh, uh, my friends whose parents had money, and it seemed like that was like the type of family that I wanted my family to be. For some reason, when you grow up in a pastor's home, you don't have a lot of money for some reason, and so I thought, man, you're supposed to be serving God who does all this stuff. We don't have a ton of money, but I noticed that they have an in-ground pool, so I was like, man, if that's the family that I want, right? Like, I want to be in that family, but it was right around that time that I began to discover the, this tension, this tension that probably a lot of you feel. And the tension is, is that there's this ideal. We have an ideal family, but there's also this, the real that we deal with. Yes? Right? We have this ideal picture of family. And I was thinking about this this morning. One of the funny things is that uh, on your invitation with the family month is that, uh, do you notice, do you notice, what does this remind you of, the design? Saved by the bell, right? Saved by the bell. And we have a clap and, uh, and did we get an amen for saved by the bell? That's amazing, right? But, uh, but saved by the bell, you know, if, and if you don't know what it is, uh, I'm really sorry for your childhood, but uh, saved by the bell was this, like there was, think about it, it was this era where you had Zach Morris and he had a family and, you know, and so we all kind of like get this picture and image of, of family and what it's supposed to look like. But then we also experienced the tension between, wow, my family doesn't doesn't look anything like that family. And, we, and you realize there's a tension between these two points. But you, I know that you've experienced it in your own life when you were single, looking to become married. You thought, man, my, when I get married, things are going to be different. I'm going to have a different marriage than my parents. It's going, to be, it's going to look different than my friends. And then you find yourself getting married and you think, well, now that we're going to have children, I'm going to raise my children very differently than the way I was raised. I'm going to give them a better life. And then you kind of go through that process. And then maybe your first marriage and family kind of broke down. And you think, well, this second marriage, this second family that we're going to create, it's going to be much better. And, and to be honest, as we go on and on and on, we realize there's this tension between what's ideal and what's 
real. Now, even though all of us feel that tension in our life at some point in our life, this is what I know to be true about you because it's it's true about me. That even though there is that gap and there is that tension, we all still want the same outcome. We all want to be in healthy, happy, life-giving families. Say yes. Yes. We all want those things because those shape so much of who we are. Are. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this. We're going to unpack this because here's the cool thing about the Bible is that uh, there's two things. One is that the Bible is actually not a great model for families. We'll let that set in for a second, right? When you read through the Bible and you read stories about the, rela- the familial relationships in the Bible, you start to feel like, wow, my life's not that bad when I think about it, right? Uh, you've got the, the first family, Adam and Eve. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. One kills the other person. Now, I don't know how bad your family is, but hopefully there's no murders in your family, right? And that's one of the first family models that we see. Later on, David, one of the most famous guys in the Bible uh, who, who ends up having multiple wives which that might have been a little challenge right there, right? Right off the bat. And then we find out that that wasn't even enough, that he ends up having an adulterous affair and they have this, this child uh, uh, together. You know, and so you start to realize that, wow, the families in there aren't maybe great models, but there's still this ideal that God presents to us through the scripture of what families could look like. And that's what we're after over the next couple of weeks is what can we learn? What can we glean from the scriptures applied to our life so that we can be, get closer to that outcome of having happy, healthy, life-giving families? Does that sound good? All right. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say, let's go. Let's go, right? High five and let's go. So if you have your Bibles... If you have your Bibles, this is going to be important as we uh, study the scripture this morning. We're going to be in the book of uh, the letter of James, James chapter 1. And you can move in that direction. There's a couple of ways that you can get a copy of the scriptures this morning. One is obviously your Bible. Two, if you've got a phone, there's a, a great apps uh, that you can pull up, uh, grab that. Or uh, in your, near your seat is a piece of paper that looks like this. This has the scriptures and the direction that we're going, so you can grab that uh, and look at it. But as you're moving in towards James, I want to set up some context for us. So James, uh, James is the brother of one of the most famous people ever, Jesus. So, so we believe, tradition tells us that James is the brother of Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing about James, is that James writes at his, during his time, he's writing to a particular church, and he's dealing with particular issues. Now, I don't know about you, but if there is uh, somebody that you respect, like who's somebody that you respect? Yell it out to me. Who's somebody that you admire, you look up to, you respect? Go ahead, yell it out. Parents, what was it? Did I hear Shaq over here? I mean, I know he's like doing some cool stuff, but man, that's impressive, right? So parents, maybe not Shaq, maybe someone like that, but who else? Who would be someone that you look up to, you admire? Grandparents, is that what you said? Grandparents, so, so, so some of you are like, I am not playing this game, Pastor. You're setting me up, right? So I'm playing it safe. Dad, Mom, that's it. So imagine, right? Imagine that, uh, you, you know, you got to spend a lot of time around this person that you admire, this person that you looked up to. Think about the life of James. James grew up with Jesus, right? He grew up with him, and yet James, man, if you're not a, a Christian, you're not a Christ follower yet, think about this for a moment. James, who grew up with Jesus, how much would it take for your brother, if you have one, 
or your sibling to convince you they were the son of God. And so James grew up with them and realized, wow, this really is this person. And so as we look at James's letter and, he's, and he writes this, it's almost like more, uh, more reason for us to pay attention to what James is going to say. But as he writes to his, the church that he's writing to, these were the issues that James's church was dealing with. One was divisiveness. They were dealing with divisiveness in the church. They were dealing with intolerance. They were dealing with people that were uh, showing favoritism towards uh, the rich people in the congregation. Now, at South Hills, we would never do anything like that. I want you to know this is a place for everybody. No perfect people allowed. But if you can imagine, they were showing preferential treatment to people that were able to maybe better their status. And so James is writing to combat these things. But there were also these, these uh, kind of three main issues that James was dealing with that would bust up their community. Did you know that there are community busters? Did you know that? Right? Some of you are like, what is a community buster? Did you know that there are things in your relationships that can bust up that relationship? Say yes. Right? Did you know that there are things in our communities that can bust up our communities? Say yes. Right? Same thing. And the same thing was happening in the church as James addresses it. But here's like the main thing that James deals with in his letter. And it's very, very simple, but very, very powerful. James noticed that in this community that was supposed to be loving, that was supposed to be about Jesus, that was supposed to be close, that there was a gap that seemed to be widening between what people said and what people did. That there was this thing that was happening and he realized these people were professing Christ. They're talking about the God of love, lifting them up, singing songs, doing all this great stuff. But then I noticed there's this gap between their actual practice of their life. Now, I realize that that would never happen in this church. I know that that would never happen in our own relationships. And I know that all of you have model relationships with your siblings and with your parents and with your coworkers. But if you can just imagine for a moment, there was this gap in this community between what people said and what people did. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to look at James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Beginning in verse 19. So if you've got it, would you say, I got it? Wonderful. So it says this in verse 19. It says, now, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, now pause for a second there. Pause for a moment. Look up here. Pause for a moment. Think about this again for a second. James, brother of Jesus, person that got to spend the most time around Jesus, who probably learned quite a bit around Jesus, is about to tell us something. He says, look up here, my dear brothers and sisters, everybody take notice of this. What he's saying is, get your pen and paper ready. Get your phone out. You're about to take a great note. I'm about to give you something that is going to be a, a mic drop moment for your life. You, this is the whole reason that I'm writing. This is the whole reason that I want you here, is to hear what I'm about to tell you. Now, we don't have a chance to jump into it, but prior to what we were reading, James had just written to the church addressing the trials and the tribulations that they were dealing with. Because not only was the church dealing with all this internal conflict, they were dealing with a lot of external conflict too. And he says, yeah, yeah, I understand that. I understand that you have good reason to be upset. I understand that you have good reason to mistreat people. I understand that you have good reason to not have a good familial relationship. But he says, I need you to pay attention. Everybody take note of this. This is what I've got for you. And then he goes on and he says this. Are you ready for this? He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like anticipating this, getting ready to hear what he's about to tell you, you got your pen and paper out, you're ready for whatever it is he's going to throw at you, and you're like, that's it? That's all you've got? Like, didn't you spend time around the Son of God? Like, didn't he reveal some sort of, the same person who put the stars in the sky? And all you're telling me is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry? But if I can, if I can get this down to a principle, and this is a principle uh, that, that you can immediately begin to apply in your life with any relationship that you have, if I can bo- uh, boil it down to this, I would say it's this. What James to me is saying is he's saying, seek first to understand, then be understood. What he's saying is that when in your interactions with your community, with your family, with your friends, if you will seek first to understand rather than be understood, it will go well with you. It will go well with you. Now, how often do we get this backwards? How often in our lives we would rather be understood than understand? How often, so many times in our lives, that we would rather, uh, it's not even a rather, it's just that we feel like if I can be understood, then I'll understand. If you can hear me first, then I'll listen to you, right? And think about our culture, think about all the stuff that we deal with, not just in our families, but culture at a large. Think about how, how so much we want to be understood rather than understand. And do you know why we want that? It's because we want to be validated, We want somebody else to validate our experience, which is all a good thing. We want somebody else to validate our emotion. We want someone to to validate our story and what we're going through, which is all important and that is very, very significant. But think about this. James says the opposite. James says, if you want to have a good relationship, if you want to be in community that is healthy and growing, actually what you want to pursue is to understand before you are understood. And here, here's kind of the thing. It's because in our relationships, when we are constantly seeking validation, we are constantly seeking to be understood rather than understand, it can create tension in your life. Amen? Right? It creates tension in our life. My wife is uh, here this morning, which I am super grateful for. We have had two uh, just super fun days. Our, uh, our 14-month-old daughter, McKinley, has been uh, teething, and it's the side teeth, and it's the back teeth, and those that are parents and have went through that, you just know how fun that is. And so over the last uh, two days, between the hours of 12 a.m. and 4 a.m. is super fun, right? Two nights ago, found myself watching Sesame Street at 2.30 in the morning, right? Now I've done some raging in my life. Let me tell you, that's a rager right there, right? And so my wife's here, and, and uh, we've experienced this tension point in our own relationship. Some of you are sitting here, and you're like, I thought, I thought pastors didn't fight. We don't, but I'm just going to tell you a fictitious story, okay? Right? But uh, not too long ago, we, were, we needed to... Um, I needed to find a babysitter. Uh, It was a a Saturday that was coming up. I had a wedding that I was going to be officiating. And um, if you know my wife, my wife is a nurse, and she works on, usually works on Friday and a Saturday uh, shift so that she can be off on Sunday, be here, and then then I take Monday off so that we can be together. And so we knew that that was going to be a conflict in our scheduling, um, and so we made arrangements. We were going to uh, have uh, Crosby's mom, which is my mother-in-law, watch the baby. It was going to work out perfect. She was coming down from Orange 
Orange County. She had a hair appointment in San Diego. Don't you love when those things align, right? She, so she's going to be able to get her hair done, get her to watch her, her grandchild. Uh, it was going to be great. Well, the closer and closer that we got to the date, uh, uh, her hair appointment kept changing, kept changing. Now, isn't that just so annoying? It's so annoying, I know. Just shake your head, say yes. That's so annoying, right? So annoying. So hair appointment kept changing, and, and we were getting closer, and wasn't really sure, like, is she going to be available? You know, how is this going to work? And, and, and the biggest thing that I'm trying to think is, like, I'm trying, to find, I'm trying to find the moment when you make the drop. You know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to find the moment when you make the drop. Those that have kids and you're dropping off kids, you know exactly what I'm saying, because you know it's not just this simple little exchange. It's like, all the equipment's got to go, right? All of the stuff. You got to think through everything that needs to happen. And so we're getting closer and closer. Well, the day before it comes, and we haven't finalized the details, and I have a wedding that I have to be at. And uh, the way that, I won't speak for most men, but the way that I think is that she's just going to go with me to this stranger's wedding, and I'm just going to find somebody that can hold her for 20 minutes. Now, how many of you would say, uh, Pastor, that's probably not a good idea. Say yes, right? right? So there's no way my wife's not going to stand for that. Well, she's away. she goes away to wor- uh, work, and uh, she leaves the house at 5.30 in the morning. She doesn't come back till, till like 8 o'clock at night. And so she, she's off, like, and, and she's a nurse, and so she's taking care of super sick people. Uh, but here I am, because we haven't figured it out, I was like, we got to figure this out. And so I start texting her while she's at work. Turn to your neighbor and say, this isn't going well already, right? Right? So I, I'm texting her and, and we're, because we need to hammer, we need to figure this out. And uh, I, I'm trying to explain to her, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help her understand where I'm coming from, right? And because it was her mom, I expected her to go ahead and organize with her mom. Does anybody have any mother-in-laws in the room, right? Anybody mother-in-laws, mother-in-laws, mother-in-laws? Some of you are like... She's here. I can't raise my hand, right? Right? Well, I was like, it's your, it's your mom. This is, you should communicate with her. It's her hair appointment that keeps moving. It's not my fault, right? I'm not the one who set up the hair appointment. She keeps moving it around or whatever. And so we're texting. We're texting. And we're going back and forth. And I noticed that she start, we both start to get frustrated in the process. Now, those that have had text conversations before with a significant other, you, kinda, you can tell when the other person's getting frustrated, Yes? Oh, it's very quiet. You're like, you're alone on this one, Pastor. You're going to a place that none of us are going to follow you into, right? Well, I notice that she starts to get a little frustrated, and here's how I know that both of us are starting to get a little frustrated. Because when my wife and I text each other, uh, you know, we, we, we believe in, the, or at least I believe in the principle of happy wife, happy Happy, let me help you out with that one, fellas, if you haven't figured that one out. It's happy wife equals happy life. And so every time we text, if she asks me, hey, can you go pick this up? Can you do this thing for me? Even if it's something I don't want to do because I want to have a happy life, I will respond, okay, heart, right? Put a little heart on the end. Like whatever she asks me to do, I'm going to respond, you know, as lovingly as possible. Well, as we're texting, what I noticed throughout the text conversation is that the emojis start to get a little bit fewer and far between, if you know what I'm saying, right? It's like, well, I don't know about this. A little face with a line that goes across, right? Like I'm not really sure. And then the next thing that I know is that there are no emojis. And I realize that both of us are at that point where it's like, we, this, we're gridlocked. And so we, we get home, uh, we get home and my wife gets home after a long day, as you can imagine, like I said, 12 hour shift. And, uh, you know, I had the baby and we hadn't figured it out yet. So she gets home and, uh, you know, and I, and I you know, go to talk to her and I just say, hey, I just wanted you to know 
that I'm over it and that we'll figure this out. And then I go, how was your day? And then I went in for what I always do. I went in for a kiss and she gave me one of these. What are you trying to do here in this situation, right? And for me, it was just like my head, in my head, it just like popped off like a, like a cartoon. You know what I mean? Like what? You know, like all this time I'm trying to help you understand what's wrong with me, right? But here's the thing. Both of us wanted the same thing, but we were both trying to be understood at the same time. But there's no way you hit a gridlock, you hit an impasse. And think about this in your own families and relationships. When you have a conflict, when you have an issue with your spouse, whatever it is, both of you are trying to be understood. But what James is saying, he's saying if you'll lead with understanding, then be understood, it will go well with you. Now, here's, here's the big, one of the big reasons that I want you to grab what I'm giving you this morning is because I want you in your relationships, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with coworkers, whether it's with your families, I want you to be able to go through that relationship and minimize as much regret as possible. I want you to minimize as much regret as possible because think about, think about this in your relationships. How often does regret create a chasm in your relationship? How often do we do something, we say something, it creates a chasm, and then before we know it, we're not even, it's not that we're not close, we're really far away. And I want you to go through your relationships without having to regret, because the way that you respond in relationships, you respond one of two ways, either with regret or without it. In fact, in first service, and I'll do it in this service, I did a little informal poll, and the poll is this. By a raise of hand, and everybody's got to play. I can see all of you, right? And God can see you as well, right? But I can see all of you. Is that I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you one question. I'm going to ask you, do you regret more of what you've done, or do you regret more of what you've said? Okay? So real quickly, if you regret more of what you've done as opposed to said, would you raise your hand? So we have some people that regret what they've done. Okay, but if you're here and you would say, I regret way more of what I've said than what I've done, raise your hand. So, so majority of the room is raising their hands in regret the things that they've said. And you see, I think where, where James is going to go in just a second, we're going to look at that, is that he understands people. He's been around uh, the, the most human person ever, which was Jesus. He's been around uh, leaders, the disciples, and now he's been around church. He's been around people at this point in his life. And what he's noticed is that when they don't lead with understanding, but rather they lead with trying to be understood, that it leads them to respond with regret. That they get later in their life and they respond with regret. When I think about my own life, um, when I was about 20, 23, 24 years old, I was ready, to, I was ready to, to, to fly the coop. Did anybody say that anymore? I don't know. I was just throwing that out there to see if you guys were there. But I was ready to get out of the house. I was living in Ohio. I was ready to move. To, I wanted to move to California. I wanted to pursue what I felt God had on my life. But my dad was not a big fan of that. My dad had grown up in California, and uh, he just didn't want, he didn't want that to happen. He wanted his family to, you know, the, the nucleus of his family to stay close to home. But I was like, no, I got to get out of here. I got to go. And, and I felt at the time, like I felt like, have you ever, has anybody ever broken up for somebody before? Anybody, everybody, oh, some of you are like, good Lord, pastor, you keep asking these dangerous questions, right? right? But, but it, when anytime you, you've had that experience and you've had to end a relationship, you, you kind of look for ways to really end the relationship, yes? 
And not, not trying to be malicious, but you're trying to be as firm as you can. You're trying to let them know, like, the door is shut, right? It's like there's no more moving forward. So my dad, for some reason, I felt like I needed to do this so that I could move on. And I told my dad, this is what I told my dad. Think about this. My dad, I went to him and I said, Dad, listen, I want to move to California. And here's one of the reasons, one of the big reasons I want to move to California is because I feel like you have taught me everything that, that I need to know, and I can't learn any more from you. Oof. Late years later, I wouldn't know this, you know, my, my dad ended up passing away, and you know one of the things that I think about a lot is that comment right there that I said to him. You see, I think that God wants to help us get through our relationships, and part of becoming healthy and whole is that we, is that we respond to one another without having regret with one another. Now look what James says, because, and here's why. He's like, this is the reason that I, I want you to, to be quick to listen. I, I want you to be slow to speak. I want you to be slow to become angry. It's because in verse 20, he, he ties these two things together. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He says, the reason that I want you to, to lead with being understanding rather than understood is because when you get it backwards, what ends up happening is that you get angry with the people in your life and anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When you get upset, when you get angry in those relationships. Now, some of you are sitting right here and you're thinking, oh, pastor, you're wrong. I had good reason to get angry, right? You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You don't know how many chances I gave them. And I was, I, we, we, in the church, we have this, like, this, this whole concept of, uh, of uh, righteous anger, right? Righteous anger. And what he's saying is like, listen, that's a dangerous game to play. Because your motives need to be really, really good and pure. But he says if you'll be understanding rather than trying to be understood, it won't lead you to this place of anger. Rather, it'll lead you to a better place. Now, he goes on. He goes on in this passage right after this. And this is interesting to me. And I just want to teach you a couple of points before we end this morning. Is that in verse 21a, if you're looking at it, he says, therefore, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now, if you're reading this passage, doesn't it feel like he just took a right turn? Doesn't it feel like you were like, oh, I'm following you? Of course, there's been times in my life where I haven't been quick to listen. Of course, there's been times in my life where, you know, I, I, I said something I shouldn't have said and I regretted it later. But man, James feels like he just like took a, he just threw a curveball at me. Moral filth? What are we talking about? Here's what I think he's getting at. I think that when we have unchecked anger in our life, because we responded to a situation. Maybe it, maybe it was something done to us. Maybe we did it. But when we have unchecked anger in our life, and here's the thing. Here's another little piece for us this morning as we continue in family month. And this might be even worth the price of admission. The emotion that you feel in your life doesn't go anywhere. All of us think that we can deal with our emotions. We can deal with our anger. We can deal with what's going on in our life. Or it just seeps through. But here's the thing. You're a human being. You were designed, you were designed to deal with your emotions. And so that anger that you don't deal with, it just sits. And when anger sits, it turns to bitterness, and I think it leads to darker places. And that's why James says, listen, all of this is starting to make sense, isn't it? I, I, this is why I want you to seek understanding rather than to be understood, because when you're misunderstood, you get angry about that. And when you get angry about that, it has the potential to lead you into places that you don't want to be. 
And so he says, get rid of it. And it's literally, the, the word in here is literally like strip down. It, it, it's like take off the garment, right? It's like, anybody shower before? Some of you are like, yes, pastor, I showered this morning, right? Right before you get in the shower, you're stripped down. You have nothing on. That's, what he's, that's the image that he is conveying, is you strip yourself of anything that's going to lead you into, the, into a wrong direction. So you have two choices in this, anger and regret or humility, which leads to life. You see, in the passage, in verse 20, 21, he connects them. He says, rather, he said, get rid of that stuff. And then he says, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. He took, he, if he went this way, then he kind of turns back and he gives us a key this morning. Humility is so important for your relationships. Humility is key to any relationships. And you know why we can be humble in our relationships? Because Jesus was humble with us. The son of God who enters the earth as a man humbled himself to become like us so that he could save us. And so he, and they give us this, and think about this, James who watched his brother, James who watched his brother go through his whole life sinless, never hurt anybody, never did anything wrong to him, went to this cross and died a terrible death for all these people that he's now writing to. He's writing to the very people that put him on a cross. And he says, listen, humbly lead with humility. This will be key to your relationships, not only to our community, but to our relationships. And here's the thing. James would later circle back in James chapter 4. You can read it for yourself. And he harps on this whole point again. And he quotes a proverb from Proverbs 3.34. And he says that God, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the prideful. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes those that are prideful. Because pride will get you nowhere in your relationships. Now this morning, I want to give us some very, very practical stuff uh, as, we, as we end our time. Because I realize it's, it's easy to teach a message on relationships that really we kind of would agree to. We might even say amen to. But then when we go home, how do I apply this to my life? How does it make a difference in my current relationships? Let me give you verse 22 of James. In verse 22, where James, after he says all of these things, he gives them uh, one of the more powerful teachings, I believe, in all of the New Testament. In fact, this is like where the rubber meets the road. He says, don't be merely listeners of the word and not doing what it says. He says, when you just listen to what I'm saying, when you, when you that have been around Jesus, you that have, been, have sat in church for a long time, you that have received great teaching, if you just listen to what I'm saying and you don't apply it, you're only deceiving you. You're only deceiving you. You're not fooling anybody else. And he goes on and he paints this picture because he says, you already know what I'm talking about. He says, if, if you do this and, and, you, and you just listen and you, and you don't practice it, he says, you're like this person who looks in a mirror, who looks in a mirror, walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. Another way to say this is what he's saying is that you know this person. 
This person goes to a conference. This person uh, listens to a podcast. They read a book. Maybe, maybe you go to, this person goes to church. They're all excited. They're ready to change their life. They're ready to, they're ready to have he- happy and healthy and life-giving families and relationships. Woohoo! But then they get in their car, they drive away, and it has no impact on their life. What James is saying is that the only person that you're deceiving is you. And here's the thing. Because we all know people like this, although we would never do this, because we know people like this, you also know that their life never changes. And if I could give you one principle this morning for you to take away, it's this. And it's based on James 1, uh, verse 22. Is that it's in the follow through that changes you. It's the follow through that changes you. In fact, can we say that together this morning as a community? It's in the follow through. It's in the follow through. It's in the follow through that changes you. It's the follow through. It's applying the things that we teach. Listen to me. Yes, we've been at it for two years. We'll be at it for a lot more years after that. If you come every week, if you come over the next four weeks or you've been coming for your whole life and you don't apply the things that are being taught in Scripture, you have wasted your time. Not mine. You've wasted your time. James says you've deceived yourself. Some of you are like, Pastor, that was really mean right there, right? James' heart is the same. He doesn't want you to waste your time. He doesn't want you to deceive yourself. Following through, listen to me, following through is what will change you. Actually applying these things to your life is how you will be changed. And I want to give you two steps, two steps. Put your, everybody put your hands up. Two steps, right? It's just like we're at a rap concert, right? Two steps, two, okay, I'll stop, right? Two steps. One, one is this, and, on your, and it's on your outlines, is that I want you, you can start to apply this today, when you get into your car, when you get into your shower, when you, when you get around your families, is that I want, I want you to become a person that follows through in your life. I want, you to be, I want you to say, I will follow through on what I say I'll do. If I say I'm gonna do something, I will follow through on that. I bet if we sat down and we, and I asked, and we had coffee and we had conversation about your life and, and we got to talk about some of the pain points in your families and the pain points in your relationships, I would guarantee that some of those places have been in areas where somebody has not followed through in your life. Yes? This is one simple step that we can take to improve our lives, to improve our relationships with our spouses, to improve our families, to improve our relationship with our children, with our grandchildren. Imagine this, those that have grandkids. Imagine, you, imagine uh, your grandchild always thought about grandma and grandpa as the one that followed through. If grandma said it, she would do it. If grandpa said it, he would do it. Dads, moms, those that have kids, imagine if that's the thing that they would put on your marker. I know there's a lot of things I could say about mom or dad, but let me tell you about them. They always did what they said they would do. I want us to be not only a people, but a community. Imagine if our church could be a church that, that anytime we show up to places, that is a church that does what they said they would do. Imagine the impact that would have not only in this community, in our lives, and in our relationships for the better. But I want you to say, I will follow through on what I say that I'll do. Now, are there times where you mess up? Of course. 
Are there times where you don't keep your word? Of course. In those moments, those are great opportunities, moms, dads, grandparents, to go to those kids and grandkids and say, I'm sorry, I messed up, which is also going to make a huge impact in their life. But by practicing, I'm going to do what I say will make an impact in those relationships. And then the second part is this, and Moses alluded to it earlier, is that our team at South Hills has put together an excellent devotional. I don't know if you've had a chance to flip through this thing yet, but it is concise, it is powerful, it is practical, and this is an easy step that you can take with your family, whether it's your relationships, maybe you have coworkers that, that you eat with at lunch. This is something you can bring with you and just ask them, invite them, hey, would you go on this journey with me over the next 30 days? It's very simple. We're going to read a passage. I have a simple passage of scripture. We'll ask some questions, and then there's an action step that you can do. This is an excellent way in which you can begin to practice some of the principles that we are teaching, not only today, but over the course of the next three weeks. Now, I want to invite the band up. As the band makes their way up, I want to finish this morning. Have you enjoyed your old school service this morning? One clap. Okay. We tried. We tried. But let me finish with this as the band comes out. They're going to begin to play. And uh, I just want to finish with this because I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know if you're sitting here and you're thinking like, wow, pastor, like we're talking. I, I want to have healthy, whole, life-giving relationships. But a lot of the stuff that you've been teaching are these like principles that I have to apply to my life. You know, you're thinking like, I'm not the problem in the relationship. Here's the thing. The Bible teaches us that there's only one sort of control, and it's self-control. We can only control how we respond to situations. We can pray about what's going on. You know, we can, we can encourage about what's going on. But the only person that we can control is me. And so let me give you this. Because if you're sitting there and you're thinking like, wow, like that's what I want, but these are things that I have to apply to my life. Man, that doesn't feel, the things that you're asking me to do doesn't feel happy, doesn't feel whole, doesn't feel like it's going to be life-giving in my life. We end with two things. One, how, the, how this passage of scripture ends. Because James goes on and he says, listen, don't deceive yourself. You're like a person that looks in the mirror, walks away, and you forget what you look like. He says, rather, rather, those that look intently into the perfect law of liberty. Now, don't get lost on that. What he's referring to in the perfect law of liberty is he's talking about the teachings of Jesus. Those that have, those that have, been, have been taught, those that have received wisdom, those that have re- received uh, uh, teaching in their life, those that, that look intently into the perfect law of liberty, and they continue to do it. They keep doing it. They keep applying these things to their life. The scripture ends this way. It says they will be blessed in what they do. You see, James attaches this. James, after he had spent so much time with Jesus, as, after he had, uh, had been around a lot of people, uh, uh, his own walk with, with, with the Lord, and all that he had learned, what he realized is that when people apply these principles, he noticed that God blesses them in what they do. That God, there's a blessing attached. That God wants to bring blessing into your life through your relationships. Those places, those relationships that have cost you so much. Those places that have, have been the opposite of a blessing are the very places God wants to bring his blessing into your life.
I mentioned earlier, we have a 14-month-old daughter, McKinley. Some of you know her, um, and some of you will see her right afterwards. She'll be running around like crazy, undoubtedly. When she, uh, at her six-month checkup, uh, those that know you do a six-month checkup, the doctor was, uh, started to look at her legs and started to notice irregularities in her hips and started to look at, at the legs and how they lined up, and which then kind of led to a series of um, uh, questions and conversations and ultimately a set of x-rays to reveal that uh, our little girl, our little like first child, uh, the, the joy of our life uh, had been diagnosed with hip dysplasia. And we had no idea what that was about, you know, super serious, like how is this going to impact our life, her life, all those different things. And so we went, we met with the doctor. And those that don't know what hip dysplasia is, what it is is that um, their hip didn't fully form. And so the femoral head, which is part of the leg, it, it later in life, there's a danger of it popping out of socket or causing pain uh, later on. And, you know, then there's all these questions of, like, was she born with it? Did, it? did it happen on the delivery? Like, you know, all those different things. So we met with a specialist, the doctor. And, and we, as we were talking with him, we wanted to know, like, what do we got to do? Like, how are we going to, how do we get this fixed? And he, uh, he said, well, he's like, if you don't get it fixed, she's going to have problems later in her life. If you don't deal with this thing now... Later on, she could have pain, she could have problems walking, and honestly, it's going to impact the quality of her life and who, who she's supposed to be. He said, but if you'll put this harness on her, I, we have a harness, if, you'll, if she'll wear this harness, and she's got to wear it for 23 hours a day, if she'll wear the harness, at the end of the time with the har- harness, she'll come out of there the way that she's supposed to be. And it was rough, and those have had children, you know, at six months, they're just starting to move around, they're just starting to walk, and all that kind of stuff, and here we were, it felt like we were muzzling, it felt like we were having to put this contraption on this little baby. But what it was doing, and what it has been doing, is that all along, it's been correcting those hips. All along, it's been, it's been leading her into who she's supposed to be. It's leading her into these places where she'll be able to walk and run and, and enjoy her life the way that God had intended her to enjoy her life. But back here, we had to put the harness on. Back here, we had to make the correction. Back here, we had to do the thing in order for her to be, get to where she needed to be. You see, this morning, as we, as we look at these principles and, we, and as we study over the next couple of weeks, like, I think that there are gonna be times where it feels like, wow, I don't wanna do what I say that I'm supposed to do. I don't wanna lead, I don't wanna be a part of a thing, a devotional. Like, I don't, I don't wanna do any of those things. And that's fine. As James says, you're just deceiving yourself. But if you'll apply these things, if you'll begin to put these practices on your life, it's going to feel like a harness. It's going to feel like, ugh. But if you'll put it on, you'll apply it to your life, you'll notice, wow, 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 wow. And here's the cool thing, is that the law, all the things that God had set up back in the day, and, and even maybe as you're newer to faith and things are changing in your life, God's goal for you is not to wear the harness your whole life. God's goal for you is to be able to live free, whole the way that he had created you to be in your relationships, in your life. Yes, there's times where it feels cumbersome. Yes, there's times where it's not comfortable. But what it is creating in you 
is something far better than what you had before. Would you pray with me this morning?